Another good morning with Coffee and Closers here. We are live and ready to rock some worlds and some minds. So people need to bring their questions. Guys, what do you got going on? Hey, guys. I'm doing great today, man. Just feeling good. Good week so far. And, uh, man, we, we went and looked at like four or five properties yesterday. Sent offers on every one of them. Got one accepted right away. And we're working on getting the other four done. So just closing deals over here guys closing deals well okay let me ask you a question let me ask you a question before you jump in jump over to gavin because you you made a comment here about um you looked at what four or five properties you made an offer on every one of them do you do you send the offers out after you look at them or do you try to control the process and make the offer there when you're with the seller good question so that's a great question both and but these particular properties that we were looked that we looked at yesterday were they weren't like direct to seller marketing per se. One of them was a lender of ours that's trying to sell his last rental property. And the other three or four that we looked at were basically like pocket listings and or properties from other wholesalers. So in that case, we want to go look at them first. Right. If it's direct to seller and there's not another party involved, we always want to get a contract signed that's contingent upon walkthrough and verifying all the information that we have have gotten over the phone essentially. So Don, that's a great question. I prefer to have a contract on a property before I go look at it. I mean, that's just preferred. Mm -hmm. Just It just eliminates a lot of time, right? Well, and we're, doing, that, yeah, we're doing something very similar, go ahead. Yeah. How, many, how many properties do you buy that are direct to seller yourself or are you buying from another wholesaler? So that's a great question. 80% are direct to seller. Okay. typically uh yesterday was a fluke in terms of like just random deals that had come in um but typically we're buying about 80 percent direct to seller and then um, the other 20 percent is either from the mls or it is you know from another from an agent or from a another wholesaler or something along those lines ricardo what's going on guys hey, how we doing buddy. good it was i had to restart this thing man you know how that goes it's good. all good. We're happy to have you. Welcome and good morning. I appreciate you guys. Uh, honored to ha be hanging out with you guys, you know? Hey, hey. We're happy to have you, man. We're happy to have you. I know the guys got a bunch of questions for you. I know I do, too. You were listening in on us a second ago before you joined about Investor Lift. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Secret's out, right? There's no secret anymore. So I'm just curious to, uh, to hear your take on it and how long you've been using it for and Sounds like it's bringing you tons of success because you're in the the SMS game pretty heavy right now too, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, man, I was just playing with that thing, adding all the properties that we didn't add. Uh, but man, that thing is a game changer, bro. Um, it, it's, a, it's a really cool piece of software. And right now they're having some difficulties by uh, with delivering emails. Okay, and. You didn't hear that from me, but I know because I got 40 some properties under contract and we're sending hundreds of thousands of emails and um, I had to reach out to to them and say, hey guys, I'm not getting much feedback. So, but um, just that God mode uh, feature they have where you can see all the buyers around a property is insane, man. And, yeah, that's a really cool feature. Yeah. And then the, uh, the cartel mode, um, you, you get to access all of the buyers from the cartel members. If are, are you guys on cartel or pro? No, I'm just on the pro. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm on the pro. I think 
cost is on uh, Cartel. You wouldn't have anything I'm waiting, else. I'm waiting, I'm waiting to get set up on Cartel, yeah. Okay, Got so... Um, so, um, the cartel, you have, um, all of the buyers we got right now, like 2.3 million in there, um, it's a share buyers list pretty much. And, and then it also buys across the country, right? All over. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter where they are. Nick Perry had to upload his list. I had to upload mine. Everybody did. That's the first thing you do is you surrender your your uh, your buyers list. So Don is gonna have to do the same shit. Um, whether, yeah, cost, I mean, whether he's cost, got a lot of buyers, <laughs> most likely all his buyers are on the list already. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's one of those things to where oh, I gotta surrender my shit. Nah, man. Most of those guys are there already. Uh, I had like mine was eighty eight thousand people I had on my buyers list that were active buyers. When I uploaded it, it only took twenty five hundred out of it, because the yeah, other freaking, yeah, the other eighty five thousand were there already. Yeah, but I think that the important thing is though, as well, on that mode, is that you're actually then okay. One is active buyers, but then you actually select right the the buyers that you've actually done deals with that you vouch for that you kind of do that extra code to say hey this is a legit guy this is a legit buyer we do business with so you're actually getting that section as well rather than just a buyer's list that's correct and we also have a snake mode now uh which is if we spot a snake uh it's called blacklisted uh we can we can we can mark him as blacklisted that way they don't get your blast um so we ju we just went to tulum for like a week and we did a round table on what was working, what wasn't working, that kind of deal. And, and man, they're they're coming up with a lot of new features from that meeting. And these guys implement pretty fast. Yeah. Um, so they're gonna have a new section that I came up with because I got I got a lot of friends that are making, I don't know, twenty five thousand to a hundred thousand dollars a month. So they don't qualify necessarily for cartel mode. Um, and then. They don't want to be on the pro because pro is like fuck, man. That I don't get the buyer. So they're gonna come up with a new version called um, I think it's Cartel Max. Is that's the name I came up with? And if if you are anywhere from fifty to hundred grand, then you can get on the Cartel Max. But you have to be sponsored by a cartel boss. Um, and the idea is that the cartel boss needs to help that guy reach two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in revenue every month. Um, and then they're, they're going to get a modified buyers list. Like, uh, I think it's up to a million buyers. And another thing we're doing now, um, is that we are going to be texting all the buyers that we have there. That way we can get, um, we can get them vetted. So we're qualifying the buyers. Uh, we're running a texting campaign to a million buyers, basically. And we're, they're doing it with me because they know I'm the one that knows how to get all these text messages out. So, yeah. so we're doing well, it together, and 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 we're texting like a million buyers in the next few weeks. And and we need to jump over to that, but I feel like we've come in at a hundred mile an hour here. So Ricardo, who's Ricardo? <laughs> Ricardo, where, dodges through us in here at like 
cartel <laughs> mode like who's ricardo where are you living what are you doing Man, who I'm are you? That you mentioned that bring us back to reality <laughs> I, didn't even know, I didn't even know we were live bro um <laughs> oh yeah we've been live <laughs> deal. we were live before you got on that's how Man, we I'm roll a, i'm a real estate investor out of houston texas uh i started fixing and flipping back in 2008 um became a landlord by necessity because i couldn't flip the houses back then like nobody will get along so i had to keep them as rentals and i mean long story short man i i built a portfolio of rentals and i got rid of it because i didn't i found out i didn't like being a landlord actually um and i've had up to 100 rentals at some point i only have like three now so that tells you how much i like being a landlord um and but now i'm just focusing on wholesaling uh yeah. just a wholesaling operation nationwide so how many you said you had 40 properties under contract right now we have more we have probably 44 uh something like that and, and this is a nationwide or is this local to houston nationwide man um we we left houston a long time ago we in houston so in the surrounding areas we may have 10 or something like that but most of these properties are all over. We we go, I think we're going as far right now as, as New Mexico um, to the west and to the east. We're in in like, uh, I don't even know what we got, man. Let me, I can tell you, but yeah, it's all over. Like Tennessee, we picked up something in Missouri. Um, yesterday, uh, we picked up a few uh, all over Texas. We're pretty much in, you know, Odessa, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas. Um, but yeah, we we we're everywhere now. And right in Louisiana, we're hammering Louisiana right now big time. So um so yeah, we we're all over. I have a I have a quick question, something that you that you said here, and, and this is gonna back up to our conversation last week. So I'm gonna beat Dave up a little here. Um obviously you had a hundred properties. Now you have three, I think you just said. So we were at this very conversation last week. I, I couldn't think of anything worse of having a hundred properties, and Dave wants hundred and fifty properties. So That's like we're on two different <laughs> things, but from a guy that's had a hundred and now three, like Obviously, you hate being a landlord, but why? Like, what are some of the ex them experiences of people that have that vision of Dave, um, that that want a hundred doors or two hundred doors or whatever? Why I'm didn't a, it work for you? Yeah. It, so I'm a firm believer. If you're gonna go for a hundred doors, might as well go multifamily because they're only one location, easier to manage. Uh, it's just more of a complex deal to get yourself into, right? But once you figure the deal it's not that hard because you can syndicate the money the loans are fairly easy to get as long as you're getting a good deal the problem with having a hundred doors separate is that it creates a logistic nightmare so yeah you can have a property man guys let me close the door real quick i'll be right back yeah you're good oh. i'm interested to hear his take on this yeah, exactly and then i want to hear yours because i think this is important absolutely and then it, I wanna, it, creates, I it creates a logistic nightmare man so you can say okay i'm gonna give them all to a property manager right and and then um what the property manager does is they they still bring you the problem they still say hey man um we gotta fix the toilet by the way it's 500 bucks or we gotta fix the plumbing by the way and sometimes they do if you give them the power to go fix it 
They'll fix and then they'll send you the bill. And they said, hey, I spent $4,500 in fixing the sewage line that was backing up. And you're like, what? $4,500? Oh, my God. I could have gotten somebody to go do something cheaper, right? So you magnify that times 20, 30 calls a week. You literally have to hire somebody just to manage the property manager unless you become a property manager yourself, which is what I did. Um, for me at the time it was easy because I was flipping a lot of houses. So anything that broke, I could get some of my guys from my rehabs and send them there. So I didn't, you know, it didn't bother me as much, but that forced me to keep people on the payroll all the time, employed, employed to take care of some, some of these challenges that we had in rentals. Now, we it's, rehab eating, it's eating cash flow though, isn't it? Right. So all them problems is when we say it's a cash flowing property, when them things happen and they multiply ply, right? And and I think realistically 30 calls is realistic on a hundred doors a week, I'm sure. Oh yeah. So it's just eating cash flow. Bro, they'll call you for a light bulb. The yeah. light bulb is not working, and you're like, Jesus, <laughs> it's 250 bucks is up to you on the contract, you know? Like, go change the light bulb. Oh, the, the switch line is clogged. Well, keep quit throwing diapers on it. You, you know, I mean, these are real calls. Like, I, I still get those calls. So, um, you know, now I'm not against it, by the way. Like, if 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 it fulfills your dream of having all these doors and all that, by all means, do it, right? But you got to have some people, you know, managing those things because um, it, it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of properties, you know, especially if you got them in different areas, um, you know, and I don't think it's really that scalable, man, unless you're a bank. Like if you're owner financing them out where now the calls go away, but then you lose all the write-offs, you lose all the appreciation, the appreciation and all that. You keep the cash flow. Uh, but a lot of those good things that real estate investors enjoy by being able to hold on to assets, they go away. Um, so that's why I only keep a few now. It's like a, a like a necessary evil um, for me. And, and, and then everything else I got is owner financed out. That way I get the cash flow, but I don't have to to look after yeah, toilets and ACs and things of that nature. And I still buy, man. Like if I get a good property, to me, buying a rental property is like, a, you know, setting myself up for, for success in the future for another deal because the property is going to go up. Uh, if I get into a cash flow crunch for some reason, like we all do, uh, then I can deal that property out and now I just get money in. So, you know, I, I'm not opposed to owning property. Uh, I just don't want to have a lot of rentals, um, houses. I, I don't mind maybe multifamilies or storages, things of that nature for the cash flow purpose. But man, having 100 properties is, is really, a, um, it, you got to set up a company just for that, just to manage that and keep people employed. And um, that way the headaches are not as, as, as hard. Yeah. Dave, what do you think? Oh, I right. totally agree, 100%. So uh, how are you getting around like, it? How's your vision? I like those problems. We, we just have systems in place. So our property yeah. manager is in the people business, not the property business. We made that very clear to him from the, from the get-go. And Ricardo is exactly right. You have to have somebody that's going to manage the property manager, which we do. And then you have to, you know, it, in, in, our, in our case, we have rehabs going on, right? We have a couple crews. 
they're not very big crews, but a couple guys on each crew, and we got a couple of them. And when maintenance comes in, the property manager is the people. He does is the people business. So he handles the people. He handles the tickets. He handles the calls. And then those come to us. And then from there, we send one of our guys out. So you have to have that to be able to do it the way we do it, right? Where we have somebody that manages him. And then we have somebody that manages the property. So when the tickets come over, we send one of our guys. We essentially pull them off of a project, send them over to the property to do the maintenance. And then from there, what we do is we then send the invoice to him and he pays it. That way there's not conflicting accounting going on. All the accounting, he's collecting 100% of the money and he's paying out 100% of the bills. So even when we get a bill mailed to us, we send it to him and we say, hey, you need to start receiving this mail. Or by the way, here's a bill. I'm not paying it. You need to pay that for us, right? Um, so it's just systems. Once you get the so system are you, in place, it's not necessarily a difficult thing. Now, setting the systems up are time consuming and you know, you're gonna have people fall in and out of the process that you're gonna have to replace. But to me, I'm in the property business. He's in the people business. So he just handles leasing and communication. Anything that has to do with the property at all, he is not ordering a contractor to go out and then mark those services up and not manage that person. It's internal. So there's a big- so is, are, these, are these contractors working for you full time? Are you paying them hourly? Some are W2, some are 1099. But basically, yeah, they, they are, you know, it might not even be like a, a guy that's like W2. It could just be like a like a GC of mine. We have a couple like third-party GCs, right? And we'll essentially call them in on a turnover, right? The property manager may charge 3500 My GC guy may charge me 15 or 1800 right? So it's, it's right. whenever you're controlling those expenses, it's going to be a lot better. But again, it's just system. But it still isn't. But it, the, I think the thing is, though, is that it's still an expense, isn't it? Right. So you talk about eighteen hundred. It was thirty-five, eighteen hundred. But if your property is only cash flowing three, four hundred a month, five hundred a month, I mean, you've just lost three and a half months. No, not at all. Because we'll have a deposit for fifteen, eighteen, two thousand, two thousand bucks, right? So if the property costs eighteen hundred to turn over, then the tenant gets back two hundred. They don't get back the difference. If it's more than that, we bill them for it. And if they don't pay it, then it goes to collections. And then it's going to get garnished. Like, this is a business. We're not doing freebies for anybody. So, yeah, yeah I get your perspective. Like, yeah. No, I, mean, I like it. I'm just trying to pick it. Oh, oh no. I love <laughs> it. This is great. Like, you know, we, yeah. we, we bring in 20 grand in cash flow. Well, yeah, some months you're going to have an air conditioner go out or a roof that's leaking. And you're going to essentially have to, you know, go spend four or six grand of that. Right? Yeah. But really, though, you're not really getting 20 grand in cash flow. You're getting 20 grand deposited in your account. If you run off of your spreadsheets and you factor in make vacancies and you factor in maintenance. So I think there's a misconception between people collecting a lot of money and then having to spend some of it and thinking, oh, this is eating up my cash flow. No, that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. Cash flow is after all expenses. Yeah. So what are you allowing? What's the, what's the calculation? Flow, it's reducing the amount of cash flow that you're receiving until yeah. that goes negative, which can happen if you have one or five or even 10 properties. But when you have, I got 51 of them right now. I had 87 last year. So didn't have a hundred like Ricardo, but I'll, I'm gonna be there soon, buddy. I'm coming. I'm Trust me, I'm not, I, I don't really, I'm not even proud of that number. Like, like the only reason I did it, the only reason I did it at the time, I was trying to compete with another guy to see who had more. That was it, bro. It was yeah, an funny how this works in this business like that. So, but the point that I'm trying to make though is the more you have, the easier it becomes. 
but it's yeah. but don't look at it like it's eating into your cash flow because it's not true cash flow. That's revenue. Cash well, so less. So what happened? What happened to me? Right. I'll tell you what happened to me and why I started getting rid of them. Um, a lot of those properties that I had at the time, uh, you know, so we got to about 47 sometime in 2011 or 12. Okay. And a lot of them were in C-class areas. So we started having a lot of problems with people not paying. Uh, so they, you know, we have mortgages on them. And, and they started becoming just a, a, like, I wasn't really making any cash flow because the ones that were paying were paying for the ones that were not. So I was kind of like breaking even, but these properties were appreciating. So right. I saw it as a, as, a, as, a, as a good way to exit all of those C-type properties, right? Then we got to B-type properties. I was thinking maybe the tenants are going to be better. Wrong. Same thing happened. Um, you know, we, we started having people that started defaulting and this and that, but the truth is I didn't mind that because you write that off and, and, you know, you're still, you're still controlling the asset. The asset is appreciating within, you know, throughout the years. And because we had a heavy flipping business, uh, especially at the peak sometime in 2016, 17, we had the people to manage all those things and it didn't bother and I started getting rid of properties right away because that they started becoming a, 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 a problem for us. Plus, we had to get rid of a lot of those properties in order to pay some of our lenders. And, you know, it, it, it served the purpose. But now that I, that I do wholesaling and I understand wholesaling much better than I did a few years ago, I want to focus on ten to $15,000 assignments, not on $400 cash flow. Yeah, I'm with you. So, hey, speaking of that, let's learn a little bit about your business, Ricardo, because we went down a rabbit hole here on the landlording thing, which is great. Obviously, great conversation. Hey, I'm by the way, way, everybody should have a property, man. And right. look, all you got to do is buy five and you retire with a million dollars. Only yeah, five. we're not, and that's, that's the cool exactly thing because right. we're not we're not disagreeing. It's just our conversation last week. Yeah. It tied oh, yeah. in. Don, I know. Sorry, Don, you were going to say something. I was going to say something earlier, but it was just, I, I just wanted to point out, you know, it's, it's like, nobody's wrong. Right. You know, absolutely. It, it, yeah. And, 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 and like Dave, Dave is very passionate about it. He's learned the systems around it. He's made it a business. You know, Ricardo didn't love it enough to build the systems around it. And he's got other, other priorities and other things on his mind. Gavin, you and I are kind of the same way. Um, I would rather go multifamily and have, you know, a hundred doors, you know, through yeah. one apartment complex or a couple apartment complexes, because that's just where my comfort zone is. And uh, I don't want to build the systems around um, owning a hundred or 200 single family properties. But there are, it, depending on the path you want to take, if you want to master it, just like wholesaling or anything else we do in this business, if you want to master it, understand it inside and out, backwards and forwards, you can excel in it and, and, and love it and enjoy it. Um, and that, and that's, and that's fine. Right. And so it's cool to have these conversations and see how we're kind of polarized in different directions. Um, but I love Dave's passion around what his goal, what he's doing. And I love the fact like, you know, he's, he's, our, you know, people, people, the, the, the managers in the people business, like he's identified yeah. what works and that's, that's super, super cool. <clears throat> I want to point that out because regardless of whatever path you take, when you're listening to this, 
in your business, whether it's wholesale or fix and flip or buy and hold or creative finance or whatever, you got to understand it. You got to love it. Be passionate about it. Don't go down a road just because somebody said they're going down that road. Like Ricardo said, he's trying to keep up with somebody and then build systems around it so that you don't want to drink bleach every day, that you actually enjoy what you're doing. And yeah. that's, that's an important takeaway. That, that's a hundred percent right there, Don. Like, and, and the truth is when this other guy, and he's still my friend, you know, and he got a lot of properties, but this other guy, uh, he was in the business of selling loans. So for him, having a bunch of guys becoming landlords with hundreds of properties was a good, very good thing, right? So my problem was is I bought into his dream. You were you were you were racing his dream, not yours. Yeah, I, he, yeah. I mean, he lured me into becoming a landlord <laughs> by having fifty, sixty thousand dollars in cash flow, passive income, and all of these and depreciation. And he's a great sales guy. And the other thing is, uh, there was a little bit of competition because we were marketing in the same areas and I would show up at a house by the time I was buying all the acquisitions I did it myself. I was showing up at a house and he would show up. He had a lot more money than I did. And and uh, every single time we started a bidding war, as soon as I went through my threshold, I was like, man, I can't pay more than what it is right now. Uh, I just ran up the bill for him for like $10,000 more. And I just turned around and laughed and left because he, he did have bigger pockets. And and uh, I saw him one day and said, hey, Blake, you know all those properties you won against me, right? And he's like, man, if you did the math, I made you pay at least over $200,000 more than you were supposed to just because your ego got on the way. But I was buying into his dream, right? And yeah. and and to me, that was a mistake. I, I was very, I was younger. Um I didn't really know what being a landlord was, and I I just went for it and, and and did it. But now I'm just like, it was a great experience. Don't get me wrong, but I, that's not really what what I want my future to be like. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really really good. Ricardo, um, tell us about your business. I want to learn more about these 10 to 15k assignments. That sounds like that's the new goal for you at this point. It's not 100 houses or two million properties or any of that. It's it's, no. it's, it's wholesaling. I want to learn about your team. I want to learn about your marketing methods. And I want to learn about um, just the basic general operation that you got going on over there. Right. Can, can I can I ask one thing really quick? We do need to transition to that. So, guys, if you're listening and watching, if you're on the platform of Facebook or uh, YouTube, can you give us a like, drop your comments in and share the post? We want to get on as many eyes as we can. Uh, what we're about to transition into, uh, Ricardo is the man in terms of marketing when it comes to text messaging. So just go ahead, like and sub subscribe to the channel, but share the post. Let's get as many views as we can on this. That would be awesome. So we appreciate you doing that. Sorry, Dave. Ask your questions too. Ask questions if you have them. We're yes. Answer them. Yes. Yeah. I just want to add one thing, Don. You are so wise. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dave. That's what. That's because I listen to you, brother. Yeah. It's me and me and Dave are basically like two kids right now. You guys are all so wise, but uh, yeah, that's great. All right, Ricardo, you got the floor, man. Tell us what's up. So we have, um, I was just doing the math yesterday. Uh, so I, let me tell you how I got into wholesaling. When Harvey hit, I had to come up with $200,000 a month on revenue to pay bills. Okay. I was under the water with big liabilities because of all the flips that we had. Um, <laughs> I had to come up with 200K a month to pay bills, not to get rich. So the only thing I could think of 
that could provide that much cash was wholesaling. So we had a little bit of money uh, and we had a lot of properties with equity, like we were talking about rentals and things like that. So we started liquidating all of that, and but we couldn't wholesale fast enough to get to those 200 grand that we needed, right? So in a period of like 18 months, we were just building a wholesaling operation uh, with mailers. Oh, that's all I did, mailers, um, uh, specifically yellow letters. And we were having good months, 150, 200, but our, our cost per lead was very high. It was $6,000, $5,000, $4,000. And you know we had to spend literally fifty thousand to seventy-five thousand to bring those one fifty to two hundred. So, you know, long story short, my business partner at the time didn't want to do it anymore. He didn't like it. He wasn't enjoying it. He wanted to do something else. So he basically uh, resigned and and went and did something else. He's still my brother. I love him. Um, and all those deals at that point in time. Was that were all those deals that you guys were marketing to? Yeah, local. Only at Houston. That point in time was local. Yeah, only right? Houston. That was only Houston. So Harvey brought every wholesaler in the country to Houston, and people were making all kinds of crazy offers. And and sometimes we were like, God, how are they buying this thing for this much? So I went back to my office one day and I told Dennis, I said, like, look, man every all eyes are on houston right now we got hedge funds coming in wholesalers flippers i mean there's blood on the streets people want to capitalize on it guess what they're doing they're leaving their turfs open so we need to go there and market in their areas so we started marketing in Tampa, Florida. We started going to Oklahoma. We started going to all kinds of other areas. And that's how we got into the whole virtual wholesaling thing. But it was kind of like half-ass wholesale uh, virtual because I would send letters on Thursday and I would catch an airplane on Monday morning to go on appointments. So because it would take two to three days for the letters to be delivered and for the this phone call. wasn't really a virtual thing. This it was wasn't, but it was half. On an airplane after I do marketing and just go yeah. So we were picking up. So it was kind of like half and half, right? Because we were doing all this marketing uh, ahead of time, but then I'll go there, I'll lock him all up, put him on their contract, put him a title, come back to Houston and sell them that way, and, and organize sellers to go through, uh, buyers to go through the properties and all that. So, but it was man, it was a hustle, and we were just trying to we were in reactive mode and and Danny's got tired of that and he's like man the hell with this shit. i don't want to do this no more and i just kept on trucking right and reinventing trying to reinvent the wheel like what can i do better you, just real quick on that on, on the marketing piece right i from what i know of you on a personal level you don't play at marketing right what i mean by that is how much marketing are you sending we're not talking about you know, 200 letters a week here, right? No. If you're doing dire mail. I mean, what, what are we talking? What are we spending? How much are we sending? The, high, the highest we did was 80,000 letters in a month uh, for a few yeah. months. So we were putting 50 to 75,000. We own our own mailing company. So uh, we were fully integrated. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that I need to own all my systems. Um, and uh, if I want to control the speed of the deal, okay? It, that's, just, that's just the only reason. I used to use yellow letters out of California. Um, and the, the challenge I had is that because I was putting such large, large orders, it will take my phone to ring for three weeks. And that's what made me go buy all the equipment. I said, you know what? 
I just put 20, 30 grand on equipment. I'll buy printers, learner inserters, the stamp posting thing. I get the software. I'll figure out how to make a yellow letter. And it took me a while to do that, but we did it. And, and then my friends started buying product from us at the time. But long story short, we could produce a letter and a phone call. It was three or four days later. So we were controlling that process. But even by us controlling the process and the cost, the cost per acquisition was still high. Um, because, you know, the, the, the one company making big dollars on mailers is the United States Postal Service. I mean, it's 50 some cents a, a, a postage, right? So, man, I was trying to figure out how to drop this cost down. Um, and, you know, I was still having 20, 30 properties under contract on my own, but it was costing me too much money to do that. And at some point I said, man, I, the, the liability is too high. I don't know how long I can sustain this. If I don't have a few closings next month, I don't even know if I'm going to have the money to continue to do the following month. And that's how we transition into cold calling. Now, cold calling dropped the, the price per acquisition drastically, but I, I wanted to scale it. I, everything I do, I really wanted to scale. I don't want to, I don't want to do it half ass. I'm not, I'm not um, satisfied with just a couple of properties under contract. Uh, it makes me scared. Like I, I'm trying to run away from being poor as far as I can. Right. So, um, you know, I, I want to do it big. And and when I started doing the math for cold calling, I realized I needed a dialer per person. Then I needed a person to do the dialing. And and let's just throw a, a quick math. A dialer is a hundred to one hundred and twenty dollars. If you really want to have a floor with 20 people, now you're looking at $2,000 to $2,500 in dialers. And then let's say you're paying four bucks an hour in the Philippines or Nicaragua or whatever. So that's four times 20. Now you're paying $80 an hour times 40 hours a week. That's $3,200 a week on, on people dialing, right? So now your overhead goes to almost $20,000 for dialing and you have not bought the data yet. You got to feed a lot of data to 20 people, right? So you're looking at, I don't know, half a million records or something like that for all these 20 people to, to dial. That's a lot of money. So, you know, we did the dialing thing. We had like five or six cold callers. We were getting properties, but I wasn't satisfied. So I hired a friend of mine to build me a texting platform. And I said, look, man, I think the way I can scale this thing is by texting. Uh, because uh, the other thing that I realized is when you call call, your rejections are on, on the phone and you're hearing that over and over again. And it, you can get tired of it and you oh, need a really break. Quick. Really quick. Right. But when you text, if somebody's rejecting you, you just don't respond to that text. You go to the next one. Yeah, it's faster. It's faster. And, and texting is the number one way of communicating for human beings today in the planet. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. So, like, if I'm going to call Don, and I've done this. Hey, Don, are you available? No, I'm having dinner with my kids right now or my wife. You know, I'll call you later. All right. But you text before you call. So I figured that if I can get my hands on a platform where I could use for texting, I was going to have a lot more success. And, man, I was not wrong. Um well, let's talk about it, Len. So let's break that down, though, because the, the crazy thing is the, the way I run the business is I kind of run everything lean, right? I look at everything profit, right? It, it's not volume. 
it's not how do i send out eighty thousand mailers like all of that i'm about profit how much can i make how much can i keep yeah. right that's how i run a business is what you focus on okay and then but when i talk to you and you're like oh yeah i'm sending 30 40,000 texts a day and i'm it just it, it literally blows my mind right because i'm like you've still got to be pumping a lot of money into data and a lot of money into skip tracing right to to do that um so i want you to talk about that and then i want you to talk about is where we're headed in the texting market i mean it's the topic of the real estate the game texting, right now. look texting will die there's no yeah. doubt about that okay uh texting has got cancer right now we just don't know how long the cancer we don't know if it's terminal in one month or terminal in a year but that cancer is there like it's already yeah. been spotted by the doctors okay so uh it, in the reality is i'm transitioning to ppc okay and I'm and and ppc is you have to be a player to play in the ppc world there's no other way around what what spend what what spend are we well let's talk texting real quick what spend are we doing for texting so I'm, I'm, my my cost per contract is 500 dollars right now okay? okay that includes the skip tracing so it's very cheap so what happens is you 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 recycle data as well so every month as i collect assignments i buy data okay i buy i download it from PropStream. i don't have any uh secret site where i go and pull this data from i just go on prop stream i download 25 to fifty thousand records per month and yeah. then that's what i buy on skip tracing but right now this month i'm buying data for like february next year because i already bought all the data until december and january so whatever i'm buying this month is coming for the following year okay uh that's a great picture by the way Isn't that a great a picture? yeah we had a great time that day man um and yeah we got to see some crazy people dancing on that club upstairs that was, <laughs> <crazy>. <laughs> that was a great time. so okay. so my cost per contract is 500 bucks i allocate 30 percent of my assignment to to data okay and and, and marketing basically mm -hmm. so it's kind of hard to put an ad spend right now on what i spend every month because I'm buying data today that I'm going to use in February, March next year. Okay. okay. So I'm setting my marketing campaign so far ahead to where I know I have a healthy business moving forward. Um, and I'm being proactive about it. Okay. Now, if I can text the data at that time because the texting is dead, then I'm going to have to call call that data. Okay. Right. And you can still call call. I mean, call call will not go away. And trust me, even if you just got to pick up your phone and dial number by number, you're good. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, and all you got to do is find some cheap labor that you can do that with. But the truth is, PPC is the way to go because it's harder for people to play on the PPC world. Number one, you have to learn how to do that thing right. That's, that's the key. Mm -hmm. uh, learning how to do the PPC correct. You have yeah. to learn how to manage it correctly then you have to learn how much money you can put on the on it and then you have to have the ability to convert yeah and do you believe though with ppc that you have to go nationwide or multiple states to keep the cost down you do to keep the cost down yeah because you'll get eaten alive otherwise if you go local i did so i did this in the past and like everything i'm gonna figure this shit out on my own or whatever right and i hired a guy and the guy went and did the PPC campaign, man. 
he spent ten thousand dollars so fast that I almost had a heart attack, dude. I was like, "Oh my god, dude, what do you do? Stop!" And he's like, "What? What are you talking about, man, dude? I it, it took three days and you spent ten grand. I can't go a month of this. You're gonna break me." So you know, not knowing what I was doing, you know, I highly suggest if anybody wants to learn, they gotta go to Nick Perry or Cody, um, you know, Geary. Those are the guys that I that I think are the best when it comes to these kind of things. Um, and even Sean Terry. Uh, but, you know, in the PPC game, it's so expensive for the cost of entry that it wits all the bullshit out. So the guys that are doing PPC, those are the guys that are very serious in this game. And actually, in Investor Lift, most of the cartel members are doing PPC. I'm probably the only one that's not doing PPC right now. Um, uh, so, and maybe Don, because he's, he's coming up now and, so, but, um, it, it just takes, it's more, it's more expensive. So, you know, it, it leaves well, the other guys. The, the thing, the thing is though, from a marketing standpoint, and we can talk about this in text messaging as well, is that it, we're only talking about a, a lead gen, right? But then you have to have a process to what you're doing. Like you have yeah. like. You know, for right now, you're doing texting. Um, you've got to, well, what does it look like? How many people are texting? Who's so, on acquisition? Who's yeah. closing these things? Right? Perfect. So, uh, great question. So, my lead generation is all done in Venezuela now. That's where I have my, my texting center, okay? Um, they all work from home. Uh, I have, like, 12 people working on my team. They, they, don't, they don't all text, okay? I only have, like, four or five texting. Uh, we text for buyers just like we text for sellers. So two of those guys are texting for sellers. Two of those guys are texting for buyers. As a matter of fact, as of two days ago, I stopped in from texting from uh, for sellers because we have so many contracts that I need to kind of like go full-blown ahead on texting for buyers right now. So my team is texting for buyers. So I have four guys or four girls, they're all girls, uh, texting for sell, uh, buyers at the moment. And then the rest of the, the team there, they do like IT stuff. They set up all of our systems. They handle our integrations, uh, Slack, Sapier, our CRM, Investor Lift. Anything that's software related is handled by a couple of uh, people there. And then I have a couple of other girls that are doing all my social media. So I'm investing a lot of money into that right now. They're pumping all the content. They're pumping all the videos, chopping off all my all, all my videos that are out there, putting them on Instagram, all nine yards. So in Venezuela, I think I got 12 people now, 10 to 12. I, I know we just had two more that started. Uh, I was doing acquisitions in these positions here in Houston. But um, something that I just learned is that um, I don't want to have both in the same spot. So Houston now is just a hub for dispos. So my office here now, we just sell houses here in Houston. We don't do any acquisitions whatsoever. And we're opening a new office in Miami, Florida this week where we have four acquisitions, guys. These are closers. So our texters are trained to do kind of like junior acquisitions. So they pre-qualify the sellers. And when they send a lead to one of our closers, it's just a matter of how much you want and, you know, getting on board on the process of, of, of putting it on the contract. So how many text messages, how many text messages on average before it goes over to get a phone call? Man, it's probably about 10, yeah, uh, maybe 10, 10 to 10 20. 
Yeah, it's like 10 to 20. Uh, and I can tell you right now, I can just open my platform. Uh, and look yeah, I just wondered. I just think I'm, I'm only asking these questions because one, I want to know. And two, I think people are going to be thinking the same things maybe. Um, yeah, so yeah. For, for, for buyers, it's about um, five or six. Hey, are you a buyer? Yes. Are you in, buying in the area? Boom, boom, boom. They send the email. Bam. Done, right? But for sellers, you have to create that that trust, that rapport. So there is a little bit more conversation going by text message. And so the, the texter preps the seller for a phone call. Uh, the job of texting is to get you to a phone call, period. Yeah. So, period. yeah. And, and so, trust me, we all, got all marketing, contract. really, in my opinion, all of it mm -hmm. is to get to the phone call. Even if they fill out a form on your website. Hey, bro, look, we got yeah, houses on the contract only by text. And that was a mistake. But it was a mistake because it was somebody trolling us. Like, you right. know. Yeah, you, they, you show up to a property with the buyer and they the property doesn't even exist. Right? No, no we, we, we've closed one via text and it was one of our highest assignment fees in the Bay Area yet. And we went through the entire process and didn't even talk to the seller till the day before closing. So it can be done. It can be done. Absolutely. I, can, done. I highly suggest yeah. you get on the phone because right. what happened to us no. was, and this has happened in multiple locations now, we went to properties, knocked on the door, the old lady comes out, and I was like, look, Miss um, so-and-so, uh, we're buying your property. She's like, what? Right. Oh my God, I'm not selling my house. And I was like, what? Oh man. And we had earnest money. And I, you know, and, and so long story short. Well, let me let me just interject here. <clears throat> I just got I, I actually was doing a training where I called a hot lead from a cold call <clears throat> and got essentially got trolled. I, I just dropped the episode. It should be out on the Flip Talk uh podcast here this week or next week. I actually got I got conned. By a guy who who answered the phone from a cold caller and and answered the phone and said, "Yeah, I'm so and so," and I and and confirmed the property address. I called the guy back and closed him, and it turned out that he didn't even know the property. So for those of you who want to hear that recording of me, who's been doing this <laughs> for 19 years, is that the one that you nailed last week? That you were yeah. like, Man, "Don't oversell yeah. yourself. Just take the clothes when it happens." That's yes. hilarious. One hundred percent. So. <laughs> That's it, it is it, it's fantastic and it, so we're gonna be open about that so it can go it can go all the way across the board i always struggle with that ricardo about you know forcing them to get on the phone because it's that tough talk to the seller where they want to be talked to no and i agree so, yeah i agree it, it, it's, that, it's that balance it's like you don't want to get conned right but you want to talk to the seller where they want to be talked to I, I just want to make sure we really have a seller that's it like hey I need to hear your voice. Uh, are you really the owner? Done. Okay, perfect. We're looking forward to close with you in the next couple of weeks. Um, but because it, it is, it, it could be a waste of time, man. And 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 I like in my case, that was like a twenty-five thousand dollar assignment. We were excited about it. It was a good-looking house. The buyer was excited about it. And man, returning earnest money on something that like that, it kind of sucks. So and and we were being played around with so um so it was a lessons learned for us it's like look guys now we just got to get on the phone with the seller at least once to to yeah. to understand but going back to to the operation right so so we have a group of like 12 people in venezuela they work in our operation in many different areas four of them are lead generating then in houston right now it's uh uh caesar Caxi, sangster vince uh and shane and I'm missing one. Uh, and yeah, Vince, Caesar. Yeah, it's like six of us here in Houston. 
uh, we're just selling houses. That's it. And in, in Miami, we're having four people that are closers. Why uh, Miami? Just curious. Why Miami? Bilingual. They're bilingual. Okay. Bilingual, and my brother lives there, and he's getting in the business himself, so he can run part of the acquisitions. Um, and then we have a girl in Israel who's a closer also, and she's strictly commissions. Uh, and we just hired another girl in Italy uh, that is just follow-up specialist. So she's on salary pretty much. All her, her job is just to follow up and, and pound follow-ups and leads and things of that nature. So we have a hybrid. Let me jump jump in and ask you the, why you feel like your acquisitions and dispositions can't be in the same spot. I just want to understand that. You said that, and we didn't ask about that, but why do you feel like they can't be in the same office? Yeah, so um, they start learning all aspects of the business. And eventually, they pick up on all the acquisitions tricks and all the dispositions tricks, and they end up leaving. So if I can keep them blind, and it kind of sucks that I'm saying this, but I'm at the point to where I'm running a corporation now. So I need to keep these horses blind to where they're just pointing towards one lane only. And they're getting so good at that lane that they're pumping out. They're being more productive. They're not getting distracted with another portion of the business. Yeah. We're doing it that way. And it's working for a couple other guys that I know that are making quite a little bit of money. Um, so I just decided to adopt that model and, and try it. And so I, I haven't proved it, but it, I will try it. And I think we'll, we'll be more, um, productive when we focus on one lane only in each location. So my lead generation is, it never stops. That, that thing is just pumping deals all the leads all the time because that's their only focus. So we also have 45 properties under contract right now. And our goal is to get to hundred by the end of the year per month. So if I'm going to have that many, I gotta have dedicated teams for, for different tasks. Yeah, I can understand the dedicated teams. I don't mean to cut you off. I can understand that, that aspect of it. I think um, the, so I've operated in a bit of scarcity um, in my operation, keeping things separate and keeping lanes separate for a number of years. And, um, and, and that's kind of blown up on me as well. So, it, 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 you know, as, as trying to keep How them separate. Blow up? Huh? How did it blow up? You know, I think it's, it's one of those things. This is a balance, right? This is a great conversation on, on the duality of how we, how we think about things, but it's one of those things where it's like, I, I've kind of adopted the, at this point in time, if I can help somebody succeed, move on in their own business, I'm okay with that. You I, know I, am too. Yeah, I am so, too. Yeah. But, but trying to keep them separate and not understanding all aspects of the business. It's like you, you create this culture of, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's like this animosity and they don't understand what everybody else is doing. They think they're, they think they're the ones carrying the entire load. It's, it, it's a whole, it's like, you can't win either way. Like there's no, like you're, what you're doing right now, I've, I've done for a number of years and it's not wrong. And what I'm going to try to do here, where it's like, if I can develop you to either stay loyal to me or go off on your own, that's fine. You're going to learn all aspects of the business that may, that may blow up in my face too. So I don't think there's a right way or wrong way about it. I think it's just finding what works best for you and your business. But I just, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things is like trying to find that balance of how do you keep somebody dedicated and loyal to your operation? That, that's where we you are know? today, right? That, that's where we are today. And, and, you know, and don't get me wrong. I have loyal people. I got people that have been with me for five no, years. And I know and you, you have, and I'm not saying you operate in scarcity because you have, you have trained people up and, and allowed them to go off on their own. So I'm not saying yeah. 
I know, I know you want us to know, and I don't. If anybody listening to this, I'm not accusing him of having scarcity mindset. Ricardo has no, the no. thing from scarcity mindset. Yeah, that's the last. No, no, no. Yeah. That's the last thing he has. And, and actually, yeah. actually yeah. you know, we had a few team members that that were here, right. and they're actually doing much better on their own now, um, than they were with us. But right. they're wholesaling now. They're throwing their own money on marketing. They're taking their own risk, and they're still JVing with us, which is the beautiful thing. So. You know, we don't we don't let like when somebody lives here, it's very hard for them to burn a bridge unless they steal data or something from us, like a contract or something like that. Other than that, we always leave the doors open. Right. But what I, what I think is happening to us right now, Don, is that um, this is the first time we gotten that many properties under contract. Uh, by the way, we have almost seven hundred or eight hundred thousand dollars to collect and we're not closing fast enough. And I had a, I have two people that were doing acquisitions here locally that I could have had selling these contracts as opposed to getting more contracts. So my local team here in Houston, I want them to be able to sell contracts faster. And that will be the only main goal. And they'll make a lot more money too, because they get paid on commissions. And, you know, we have 40, let's say 45 properties under contract. And let's say our, Average assignment is let's say ten thousand. Okay, just just to throw a number, that's four hundred and fifty grand. How many of those will close on a, on average? We do. We close on ninety percent of the deals. Ninety percent of the deals. Close. Wow. Yeah, we don't we don't lock up we don't lock up stuff above like market like we don't just lock up anything. We gotta right. make sure it's a deal. How many um, states would you say? So you said nationwide, but it, then you said as far west as like New Mexico. What do you think you're about 30, 35 states? No, like, like, cause the way we market, so texting is different, right? Um, like right now we're heavy in Texas, New Mexico, Louisiana, and Tennessee. Those are the four that were heavy, but we're starting to get heavy in um, uh, Missouri, Oklahoma, and other. So it's kind of like seasonal because the way we text is like this month we're texting in i don't even know where we're texting. i think it's tennessee and, and missouri um but that only is going to happen this month so whatever we pick up this month we have to go sell next month we'll be somewhere else so we're so you're like choosing, you're, you're choosing your areas via buying the data in those particular areas you had just mentioned oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah I the that you're doing adwords as well and you're you said that you're not it's not right now but we're yeah, getting set yet. up right yeah, we, we will move into that. Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a quick question though as well. Like with the contract, I think for people listening, is that I always look at a balanced business. Okay, like when we're talking about 30, 40 thousand text messages a day, right? And we're talking about twelve people being on texting or whatever you just said. Um, it's important that you then need to have the right amount of people being on the phones to, to, to warrant that, right? So you have to have a balanced business. What I look at is that I call it the hopper. I think a lot of people, when they do a check and make money, they just tip more money into, into marketing. But that doesn't always make sense if you've not loaded the back end to, to be able to handle it, right? No. So I think anyone listening to this needs to understand that you have a system where you have four or five on dispo, you have four or five on acquisition, which allows you to spend the money on marketing to deliver but, but, that whole but the truth, The truth is right now, I got more leads that I can handle. I got leads sitting on my CRM right now that haven't been called. I'll call because them. I don't have a, 
Huh? Send yeah, it to you. Yeah, down on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> Start making calls, guys. We no, got a couple so, of good closers here. So, so that's where that's where we got a couple of girls overseas now, yeah. right? Right. Uh, so therefore, the way I think, Ricardo, this is just me, which means then that you could be more profitable. So you should be holding back marketing more to to get that yeah. ratio better. So no, that we do it. It's, it's like an accordion, man. It's like right now we're we like I said, we stopped. We stopped marketing. I hired two new people that are getting on 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 the follow-ups. They're getting on closings. We got four new guys coming in Miami. So right now I'm not marketing for new leads. I don't have to. All I got to do is sell yeah. contracts. Once these guys are up to par, then we'll turn it on again. I lost like four guys in the last 30 days as well. So um, they went and did their own thing. They're now wholesaling on their own. One of them thought I was going to pay him a salary so he could come here and learn. So so those kind of things, those guys transitioned out. And now I, I found myself in a spot where I said, you know what? My Dispo guys, this is just going to be a, a, a an operation in Houston now. Acquisitions is going to Florida. And that's how I'm going to keep it. <clears throat> because I realized that my, my lead generation uh, is a hub is working perfect. That thing is yeah. not failing at all. That That is like, that's their main. So I said, okay, if that's working perfect, because that's the only thing they do, then this is what I need to do is I need to bring my business down in three port, uh, three parts to where one is disposed, one is acquisitions, the other one is, is lead generation, and everything kind of like works. Like, that's what happens when you grow bigger, right? If right. you're doing one or two deals a month, then you don't need any of that stuff. You can probably just right. do that on your own. But now that we're getting to more volume, then we have to break it down. Yeah. I love um, it. Dave, so we hit some questions. I know there's yeah, quite a few questions. Say, let's open it up for a little Q and A, guys. There's been a couple questions that I want to get through here, and then, um, and then, you know, if anybody has anything else that they want to ask in the meantime, now's the time. All right, so let's see here. We had uh, we had Chris that had asked about international team. Uh, where are you finding your team, Ricardo? You have a team. It sounds like in multiple different places. Yeah, you said Italy and. Yeah, yeah so maybe you got Venezuela. Yeah, so, so I grew up in Venezuela, right? I grew up sure. in Venezuela, so for me, it's easy to find people there that are uh, they got good English. Um, Chris Arnold, shout out to Chris, man. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I find my 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 team members in Venezuela. I have two leaders, Carla and Carlos, and they're the ones in charge of finding the talent and they handle them. They they negotiate rates, the whole nine yards. So they're the leaders of my team there. They've been with me for quite a few years now. So um, your team's helping you find team members, it sounds like. Absolutely, man. And they get paid for it, too. So I incentivize them to go find good people. So uh, if they find good people, then, then you know, they, they get a cut, you know, on bonuses and things of that nature. So um, and then social media, uh, you know, people write me all the time on social media like, um, I'm very active on Instagram and Facebook now, and they send me messages like, hey, I want to learn from you, or how can I work with you, or is there anything that I can do for you? And there was this one girl, man. She's a closer. She's in Israel. Her name is Adif. She's one of our acquisitions girls now. And she hunted me down, literally. Like, she found my email, sent me an email. She found my phone number, sent me a text message. I was like, oh, yeah, this girl is yeah, hot. This is what I, I want somebody to This is what I want an acquisitions team. And we had a Zoom call, and she's like, Ricardo, I want to be on your team. I don't care what it takes. And I said, you're hired. Like, there, there was – I, I didn't have any questions for her. 
you know, she closed me basically. And now she's going through a training to, to, um, you know, to get on, on, on boarded on the team, but she's a closer. She closed me and definitely social media, man. You got to put yourself out there. If you're not putting yourself out there, you're missing out. I love it. All right. Yeah. Next question. Bernard says, how do you plan out your data purchases? What type of data are you buying and how much are you going through in a month? You had already said PropStream earlier. Are you buying data from anywhere else? No, PropStream only. Uh, I got the highest tier. Basically, I can download a lot of data. And, so and sometimes, I don't, even use it. sometimes like I don't even use it all, man. Um, yeah, sure, sure. You know, like sometimes I forget. I don't do it because we got so much data ahead of time. Uh, I keep tracing with my own company, REI Stacked. To me, I think is the number one uh, type tier data that we that I can get my access, uh, my hands on. Um, and and man, we got our data is pretty freaking good. So we buy an average. The minimum will be ten thousand records. That's the bare minimum. Uh, we've bought all the way to a hundred thousand in one month. Uh, we probably have now a million to one and a half million records. And the beautiful thing about data. Is you can market to it multiple times. That's so you right. pay for it up front. Is the hardest part is paying for it up front. And then um and then you get to reuse it in six months or a year when you hit that list again. So um a lot of the 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 the, the markets that we're hitting right now are is data that we're retargeting. So um you know I'm very specific with what I buy um and how I buy it and then you know, every every month when I buy something new, I don't buy the same data. And like, let's say I and I do high equity, guys. I, I'm a 70 percent high equity type guy. Uh, I want to go for the stuff that's got a lot of meat on the bone. Um, you know, houses built prior to 1979, three twos. I do the two ones as well. Um, you know, 10 to 20 year ownership. Like and I don't care if they're uh, owner occupied because those owners are looking to move as well. Um, and you know, and they're already tired of the property. They own it for that long. Uh, they don't want to put money into it. So my, my way of buying data is probably more expensive than the normal, uh, because I'm not hitting motivation. I'm hitting a, a type of property, but under that type of property, I, I get to cover more radius, but all the motivations fall under it. So whoever is on some sort of motivational list, like tax delinquent or bankruptcy or divorce, they're going to show up on my on my uh, bulk of data that I get. So um, if I buy, um, I pay 10%, Chris. Shout out to Chris Root, man. That's that's my man. <laughs> um, so, Chris is uh, the man. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. He's a mobile home freaking mogul. Um, but, yeah, we do uh, – um, ten percent of commissions, but uh, going back to the data. Uh, and so, if I buy something in Houston, for instance, I, and I don't target the large metro areas, by the way, I'm 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 in the I'm going cities forty five minutes to an hour away from the city. Uh, I call it big dot, little dot. Uh, big dot is like Houston. Little dot is like Beaumont, Texas. That's where I that's where so I go. What's the purpose of that? Why would you not focus on? Houston, but Beaumont. Less competition. Spoken like a true cartel boss. He said, what? He what? said what? when they come to Houston, his exact phrase was, their turf is open. <laughs> They've left the turf. That's right. They left their turf. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and every, every, every. Hit them where it hurts. 
Look, most of the newbies are taught to buy properties in the large metro areas, mm -hmm. right? One of the things we've learned from marketing, you know, as well, just to just to back up what, what uh, uh, Ricardo's saying here is when we look at our data, when we're mailing to like, say, like Fresno and Fresno City and Fresno County, we seem to have more consistency in the outlier markets in the yeah. smaller markets around the larger metropolitan is where we have, we'll get the hits every once in a while in the bigger city, but it's the outlier markets that we have. For instance, Fresno has like Fowler and Parlier and some of those other, you know, um, anyway, some of those other er other areas will have more consistent purchases for whatever reason. I don't think it's just competition. I think it just may be, you know, uh, maybe a less sophisticated seller as well. And that's that's part of it. But the, the, the sellers will get more sophisticated as competition arise because the competition right. Will educate the sellers on 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 the sales on this on the process of the sale of the of the property. I remember I sent you a property in Modesto, California, and you're like, "What the hell are you doing in Modesto, dude?" And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "I was like, what do you mean, bro? Like, I'm a wholesaler, you know?" Right. So, um, so yeah, Modesto it fits that criteria, even though it's a big city. Um, it's not San Francisco or or LA. You know, um, I, I want cities that have 100,000 people or or anywhere in between 100,000 to 300,000 is a very good sweet spot. Um, but don't underestimate the cities or the little towns that got 5,000 and 20,000 people that are around those $100,000 people, uh, you know, 100,000 people cities. Um, yeah. I can tell you, I probably made more than a million dollars in just a little town that's got 4,000 people. Um, and, and if you drive through that town, it looks like he's dead. Like, like, I don't know, they're filming the walking dead or something like that in it, but people live there and investors go there and flip houses and they hold rentals. So yeah. I stayed away from places like that for years until one day I was just desperate trying to buy houses, you know, to make money and, 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 and hold rentals and things like that. And I started hitting up those little towns and man, they turned out to be gold mines. I'm willing to do what nobody else is willing to do so I can go get what I want. That, that's another thing. Not everybody's willing to do, willing to go to those little towns, a, a two hour. You go to a RIA meeting and let's say you're speaking there, Don, and you go and you say, uh, all right, raise your hand if you're willing to drive two hours for $50,000. Everybody goes like this, raise their hands. And then you show them and you said, all right, these are all the properties I got under contract two hours away from here who's willing to go flip them and watch those hands drop. They drop so far, like two hours away, that's too far. You know, that's, you know, nah, how can I manage contractors over there? I don't want to drive that long. I want them nearby my neighborhood. But me, that's how I got my, my first two, 300 properties. <laughs> Literally. It was just going somewhere else, and I was the only guy. Like when I showed up, I I would ask him, "It's like, look, are you talking to someone else, or are there any offers in the area?" Nah, you're you're the only one. God must have sent you my way, you know, because I've been yeah. thinking about. Look, I don't know how many times I've been told that you mm -hmm. must be, you must be, you must have been sent by God. I said, "Yes, I was." <laughs> you know? so, you know, so I love it. I love it. Let, just on that commission that that Rude asked, what what about um, so ten percent acquisition, ten percent disposition, a hundred percent commission? Yes, and then we do ten percent for transactional bonus. So, so I allocate thirty percent of my assignment to commissions. Uh, the ten percent on the transaction, 
is for, let's say, I don't know, one of my guys, he tried hard last month, but he couldn't sell anything or get anything, right? But I saw that he, he made the phone calls, he was sending the emails, he was hustling. I'm going to reward that guy, right? I'm going to reward based on effort. So I get out of that 10%, I'm going to start quarterbacking some people some money. That way they, they have something to eat, right? Um, we also have another pay structure, which is $2,000 a month base, but only 5% commission. So, yeah. uh, but that guy is required to be here at 9 a.m. and they leave at 6 p.m. And... They, I mean, now that I'm paying for their time, I, I literally own them, right? So uh, they got to be very, very punctual, you know, clocking in, clocking out. Uh, they got to be making at least 80, 80 phone calls a day. So there's some KPIs that we go for salary people. Um, that way we get the productivity that we need, right? And then the truth is we're trying to get those salary guys at 5% and, 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 and 2,000 bucks base to 10% because on 10% they'll make more money. If if they acquire let's say six properties in a month, you know, and and they're only making 5% and 2000 as opposed to the 10%, they're leaving money on the table by then and they're required to get at least two to three a week. So, you know, uh they'll they'll see it. They'll be like, "Man, if I would have done this this 10% deal, I would have made more money this month." So eventually they'll transition onto that. We also allow them to do marketing. So it's like, hey, look, man, you want to put your marketing dollars to work? Go do it. But you are required to JV with us. That's why we got the whole selling. So they get 60% because the truth is they're putting marketing dollars. We keep 40%. From the 40%, we pay our, our the rest of the team. But it encourages them to continue to pump out deals. So I don't want to put a cap on people. If David comes tomorrow and says, hey, Ricardo, I'm joining the wholesaling cartel. Perfect, man. You're going to make 10% on acquisitions. But by the way, you can do your own um, marketing. You can do your own stuff. Now my team becomes part of his team. He doesn't have to go build a team. Yeah. Right. Let me um, let me let me jump in here for the legal disclaimer. When it comes to paying and commissions and whether or not they're on salary, you got to know the state that you're in. It's very important. Like California, it's virtually impossible to have a 1099 employee. And if you're going to pay somebody a salary, it can't. It's got to be reasonable based on like I think the minimum salary here is like forty seven thousand dollars a year. Otherwise, you got to pay them by the hour. <clears throat> so, I was doing 1099 forever. Didn't realize I was doing it wrong in California. And that, that, that's been a whole issue um, that I've had to deal with um, legally um, because of that. So ultimately, at the end of the day, we pay $15 an hour base, and then we do 7.5% for um, our acquisitions reps at this point in time in the state of California. So know your state. Um, every state's going to be different. Some states you can do 1099 all day long without an issue. So just very important to interject that there. Um, listen to what I do, listen to what Ricardo does, what Dave does, Gavin does, and then look at your state and state laws and make sure you're getting proper advice because you do not want to give all of your profits away in a legal battle down the road. Yeah, Just throw that no, that's, really that's good. absolutely right. Yeah. So yeah, gentlemen, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to jump off. I know this is going to go from it. I got to jump off. I have, I have to do a, a training. I, I scheduled myself thinking that we were going to be an hour and now we're going to be longer and I wish I could stay longer, but I'm going to jump off and let you guys have this wonderful conversation. And I'll check back in a little later. Sounds good. Have fun Thanks, bud. Um, so, all my acquisitions um, are overseas, and I pay them in Bitcoin. 
<laughs> yeah, Love it. No, but that's true. You gotta check with your local, your local town, your local CPA, and 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 all your regulations, right? What works in Texas might not necessarily work in Georgia or Missouri or California. So that was a good point by Don, man. Yeah. Well, hey, Matt Smith yeah. asked, "How small of a town?" And earlier you had mentioned you, you know, you you make you made about a million dollars roughly in these small towns. What's too small? Uh, man, so uh, I don't think anything. So let's say you have a five thousand, a town with five thousand people. That's very small, right? But what yeah. is driving the economy on that town? That's what you got to look at, right? Right. Not just the number of people. Number of people means nothing. But if that number, if that five thousand people town is driven by a hundred thousand people town that is maybe twenty minutes away or by a million people like Houston, that's probably an hour away, then you gotta understand what these people in this town do. That's, you have to do some market research. What are the economics like? Uh, are there a lot of properties on the market? You know, Are there flips being done there and rentals, right? So you have to become a professional of this thing, man. This is not just about, oh man, let me go pick a town and, and let's, uh, let's wish that the town pays out, right? No, go ahead and study the town. Make sure that you know the economics. What are the demographics, right? And I don't, I'm not trying to be racist here, but if I if I find a town where all people are black, I want to make sure there is a black guy talking to them on my team. Yeah, absolutely. You right. know, if I find a town that's all KKK people, I want to make sure that my, my acquisitions guy's got a white hoodie on it and he's talking to them. <laughs> yeah, just make them as like the people that they're calling on. Common right sense, man. It's right. common sense. Yeah, so you, you've obviously are killing it with that mindset and that philosophy in Miami because there's a lot of bilingual individuals or just individuals, you know, bilingual on your team, of course, right? But you may have individuals that don't speak English there, right? Still in America. But you're in yeah, Miami, yeah. a lot of Cubans, a lot of uh, Mexicans, a lot it of happens. Hispanics we, we, in general. So that's we, a target a, we target El Paso a lot, right? El Paso, Texas. Yeah, a lot of Spanish. Man, yeah. that's all Spanish speakers. Yeah. I have a and few I'll tell you this. We got a contract over another company in Indiana. I don't know what the other company name was. I didn't really get into it. But the only reason we got the contract was because we spoke Spanish. We yeah. were offering the same amount of money. We, you know, and we did a couple of things. We were quicker on our feet to go get pictures and things like that. I called my boy Osvaldo Rascón in El Paso, and he went in there, took the pictures, took the contract. I mean, we we went far and beyond to get that deal, and we ended up making like twenty five grand. And but that was because we were able to communicate in their language. So, you know, nothing against the other wholesaler. They were probably doing just as good of a job. Their, road, the, their problem was they couldn't figure out to get somebody in Spanish to go talk to that lady. Got it. Yeah, makes yeah, a lot of sense. That's really good. Advice. Love that. So, the, so Matt says, if demand is there, go for it. And that's that's it. That's basically it, right? Um, yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Um, Man, we wholesale a property in Georgia, actually. Uh, Paulding County. This is a little town called Dallas, Georgia. Nothing happens in Dallas, Georgia. But guess what happens? They go to work in Atlanta. Right. 
and flippers are not finding properties with a lot of equity in Atlanta right now because the market is hot. So prices are going up. We get a good deal, 45 minutes. And I don't think even Dallas is that far away. I've never been there, but I would say it's maybe 30 minutes to 45 minutes out there. And the guy that bought it, he's a solid buyer. Like he's done a lot of rehabs. Uh, I think his name is Preston or something like that. And he saw it. He's like, man, that's a slam dunk. Uh, and he he bought it. We made, I think on that deal, we made 18000 or No, it was a $36,000 assignment, but it was a JV deal that I split with somebody else. And I got the property. The other guy sold it. I love JV, by the way. Like if I can, if if I can move the money, from model. That, no. let's do it, right? And it is it is the same thing. Like if you look at the town itself, it might not tell you, it might not give you good indications that that there's something happening there. But because the rehabbers and the landlords, they they can't find good equity on properties, they're going out their way to go find these properties in those little towns. So, um, you know, it's something i love preaching i love i do it myself and the deal sometimes don't move as fast they don't move like in three weeks or two weeks but hey if it takes me 90 days and i can still make my money so be it that you know that you know we lock up all of our deals to a minimum of 90 days by the way yeah so matt smith just said uh people in denver colorado are moving an hour and a half out to small town fort morgan town is seven thousand people but there's opportunity there. There's got to be. There's always going to be. There's got to be. You, yeah. you just found me my next town in, in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Keep them coming, Matt. That's right. I love. Hey, Matt, do, do some more research, brother. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's go hit amazing. it, man. Go hit it. Like, you know that that's really what you're looking for. That's gold right there. You know, it, it's is like. And and guess what? I didn't know. I don't know where the hell Fort Morgan is. I don't. It's not on my radar. I know where Denver is, and I stay away from Denver because it's so expensive. Yeah, I don't like the expensive markets necessarily when I'm buying data to to target it, right? But on a place like that, I may be inclined to go do it. Love it. Awesome. Um, we had a question about: Are you slow to hire and quick? To, sorry, yeah, slow to hire and quick to fire. I'm both, exactly. uh, but I'm also quick to hire. So, um, <laughs> if I see something in somebody. That I like, I'm gonna hire that person, okay? Uh, but I'll be, I'll, I'll do a, a full disclosure. I'll say, look, man, if this, if this doesn't work in two weeks, I'm gonna have to let you go. Is that okay with you? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Let's let's get to work. And you know, go. Let's do it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Look, I, I'm a equal opportunity type guy, man. Like everybody deserves a chance. Now, if I see, like, I just had this girl. She has a great attitude. Had a great, you know, uh, she really wanted to do this her only impediment was that she didn't speak good english she only spoke good spanish she spoke some english and i told her i said look your Sp your english is not that great okay and to me i think that's a challenge but she was so adamant about please give me an opportunity let me prove it to you that i said let's do it what did i do three months uh, a month later i had to say look i listened to your calls with the buyers I'm sorry, I can't have you here talking to them like that. Is is you gotta get better on your English, and and unfortunately for me, I couldn't I couldn't rearrange her in another position, um, like she wouldn't fit a, a different her personality type and all that stuff was kind of like good for that, 
um, and I had to let her go. And it, it was unfortunate because she had the desire, she had the willpower, she had the energy, she was consistent, she was on time. She just couldn't speak very well English. So I give a lot of people, man, an opportunity, right, to come make it right. But if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And it doesn't have to be personal. Like, if right. I'm letting you go, look, this is not personal, man. I'm not think I think the world of you, but, you know, it's not working out for you or me. And it's my marketing dollars that I'm putting in. So I have to look after that, right? So I hire fast, um, but I fire fast as well. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the closing coordination. Title companies, closing attorneys, different states are different things. You are, are doing virtual ask. Um, but like, you know, let's say you're not anywhere near the Houston market where you live and know like the back of your hand. And it sounds like you also have a team and, you know, a great presence in Miami, right? But earlier you had mentioned that you're doing, you know, marketing right now in, uh, let's say Missouri, right here where I live. And yeah. you come across a deal. What are you guys doing in terms of coordinating the closings? Because acquisitions is acquisitions, dispositions is dispositions. A lot of companies will will include the closing coordination within the actual sales process of the dispositions. Others will have a whole different position for that. So I'm just curious to hear, you know, what are you guys doing with the closing coordination? And then how are you finding the, the companies? How are you selecting and finding the companies to actually, you know, do the closings? Yeah. So I have three title, national title companies I work with right now. Uh, I can't say their names because I'm I'm working on a on a deal with one of them right now that they're kind of like becoming our sponsors and stuff like that. So nice. Um, I can't disclose their name, but we have an NDA and that kind of stuff. But I have we have three main title companies that we work with nation nationwide. They don't serve all the states, but they serve most of the states. Okay, got it. But we also work with title companies that are local. Sure. So so I like I prefer personally if you can. What's that? I prefer local personally, if you can get it. A hundred percent. It seems to be smoother. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, no doubts, right? Yeah, the uh, national ones that are doing it all over, it's it's usually not only is it smoother, but it takes a little bit more time. Man, I tell you what, I have two of them. They're 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 on point. Uh are they are they? So I've used spruce in the past because I've well, sold it's... probably 40 or 50 houses on roof stock, and that's who the roof stock works with. And, you know, they, they get it done by all means, but it's definitely, yeah. it takes them an extra week or two from, you know, compared to the local one. Yeah. But the other thing is as well, people need to realize is that they're, because you're doing the volume, Ricardo, they're, they're on point for you. Right. Because oh, yeah, they yeah, need yeah. to be. Definitely. <laughs> Little Tommy, who's his first deal, he'll be in the back line and he'll nah, we'll do his. That, and that happens to all of us, man. If you, if you show sure. One title, if you show up with one contract in the local title company, let's say I go to Savannah, Georgia, and Mr. Gavin Teams is the big shot in town, I'm putting on the back on the back of the line, man. You're taking the first the first position, right? So um yeah. it, you know, it just happens to all of us. But but two out of the three companies are doing a great job, they're communicating fast, they're they're answering the phone when we call. That's all man, all I ask from a title company is that they answer. Right. That's it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. as simple as that. Communication. Like, Communication. Yeah. In terms of the closing coordination, whose role is that? Is that disposition? Is that is that another an individual in your company? Yeah, so that's C, that's the CEO. Shane Rhodes does that. He's he's handling the transactional coordinating portion of it. Um so it's so it's and, handed off. So acquisitions. So it sounds like marketing, 
you know, in list selections, mostly you, Ricardo. And list selection is you. Yeah. Yeah. So then that gets handed down to um, the acquisitions folks, which are basically doing mostly cold texting, probably some other stuff too. When yeah. they get, and that's kind of like you had said earlier, that's kind of like the cold, the cold close, right? Or the cold sale, essentially. Then right. once they, once they, you know, validate, vet, um, screen, however you want to call it, that individual, then it gets sent over to the closing department, right? And they're yeah. actually going to be in the closing process. So they're not dealing with the, the texting so much they're dealing with the qualified no. individuals they call no, time they're on the phone they're just on the phone making sure that making, right. is fine. and if you it know. doesn't get to that point you have a whole other person to, to hit them with the follow-ups and pound them yeah there, right love it yes sir but then from there it goes once you have it under contract it goes to the dispositions at that point in time does your coo start working closing coordination or do you right away all the way until you have yeah, a so contract. actually the COO gets the contract uh, and sends it to the title company. So he is COO slash transactional coordinating. Before so, you do acquisitions at all? He, no, we don't We don't sell a property unless we have clear title. Like we don't even that, advertise. That my question. So that's super smart, especially if you're doing volume. Like you don't want to be wasting a bunch of time, no. you know, if you can't even buy it. So next no, no, step no, no, would be no. send it to the title company. So that's the closing coordination right there. A, see if it's even a deal we can buy, right? Right. Then if it is, start the disposition, I'm, I'm assuming. But simultaneously, you're still working with that title company to get to the finish line. Correct. Well, and, and once they send me title commitment, like I can see on schedule C what's going on. Like if I see a bunch of stuff in there, I don't even want to mess with a file. I'll tell Shane, I was like, look, man, have them figure out how to clean this thing up. I'm not. I don't. I'm not gonna upload it on our on our on our investor lift or or whatever. It's on the CRM. We put it on a special cases column, uh, and we work on those as we can. But I don't want to yeah. put too much energy on those. And the title company will tell me, "Hey man, you need this, 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 and that," and we're good. Or, "Hey man, this is freaking screwed up. This is not gonna be an easy deal." Perfect. That's all I need to know. Right. Let's go to the next one. Right. So. So yeah. now let's say I get like I got one yesterday from a friend of mine. He brought me the contract. He said, "Hey man, I just put this property on the contract for eighty six thousand dollars. It's a, it's a property that's owned on a state, and it's, they're behind on the mortgage for two years." And the first thing I said, "Okay, where is the mortgage statement? Because you put it on under contract for eighty six grand, but I don't even know if that's a real number. Like, how much do you actually own on this thing, and to reinstate it and this and that?" He gave me some figures. And I said, look, open title. The good thing he did is he's he got them to sign a mortgage release authorization form. So title company is getting in contact with them. And but we know it's a state, so we're gonna have to do airships um, of affidavits, right? So or affidavits of airships, however you want to call it. So it's not gonna be that hard because the underwriter is gonna accept that we do that paperwork in order to close on it. But we've had in instances where it's a probate and the seller for some reason says, I'm just gonna wait on the pro on the judge to 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 approve all the paperwork. And we actually had a deal that closed two years later, uh, thanks to that. So right. they you, she didn't want to do affidavits and uh, which I don't know why, but you know, the title company was okay with it, but she wasn't, and and and, and, and so a deal that to me doesn't clear title, I'm not going to blast it to anybody because I don't want to waste my buyer's time. Yeah. 
Got it. Awesome. Um, I've got a uh, uh, one minute, Dave. I don't know about you. Yeah, no, let's wrap it up. Guys. Ricardo, I can't thank we, you enough for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure talking and learning some of the stuff that you are doing. You are the real deal, my friend. So I'm honored to have you here. I'm grateful for your time. And I learned a ton. I know anybody that's listening and watching and or will listen and watching is going to learn a ton. Um, it sounds like you were, your your goal at this point, though, is to take it to like 100 properties at a month, right? Yeah. That's no rentals, though. No and look, rentals. let's do a disclaimer, right? Let's do a disclaimer. Gavin's always got to come in there. I love it. <laughs> if you're getting if you're getting 100, 100 contracts in a month, you're probably closing 20 to 30 that month out of those right. 100, right? Because yeah. people people getting this, oh, I'm doing 100 houses a month. Brother, if you're doing 100 houses a month, you got 300 contracts in your yeah, hands. Yeah, you got three, a, a, exactly. So that's what I was asking yeah, yeah. earlier. What well, that's what, when you said 90%, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's good. Like, but that's not we, we try month. and close. No, it's not. No, right. yeah, it's right. So 70, I mean, we try and close, if we, bear in mind, we lock up without seeing it. We try and close 75%, but that's always down to not us. That's down to the seller that's made a bunch of stuff up or title yeah. can't be clear or, or all these things, clear. right? So the scenarios, right? we try and push for 75 75 or 90, it's yes. not happening in the same month typically. You're talking No, they more. don't happen in the same month. Yeah, You're 30, gonna close maybe, uh, like right now we have 40-something. 40, right. 40 We're closing on like 10 or 11 this month, right? Uh, maybe more if we can clear more title. Right. But, yeah. you know, there, there is a sequence to that. So... For those of you out there that are listening or watching the, uh, to this um, uh, broadcast, if you want to be closing on two deals a month, you got to have six to ten contracts on your hands. That will give you two solid closings every month, and from there on, you start scaling up. You know, and then you get sometimes you get ten clean properties that are easy to sell. Bingo, perfect. It was your lucky yeah. month, right? But yeah, that's the reality of this business. Uh, for those of you are out that are out there that um that are preaching that you're closing on 30 deals per every month i like to see your bank accounts uh that's right <laughs> verify that those 30 wires or checks are posting okay i don't right. care for because anybody can fabricate a hut yeah you can fabricate bank accounts too but it's hard it, like it's a little harder but right yeah i love it awesome We're all right but we'll look, we appreciate us. you yeah thanks for joining us guys we're gonna sign off Join us every week live, Coffee for Closers, Wednesday mornings, 11 Central, 12 Eastern, 9 on the East Coast. Figure out West, what time zone you're in. West Coast. That's right. West, West Coast, East Coast, you got it. Uh, thanks for watching, guys. Until next time. Thanks, Ricardo, thanks for coming on. You'll have a great day, guys. We'll see you next time.